Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be, be in verses 17 and following. So Ephesians chapter 4, and I am echo those words from Kenny as he just shared about a little bit about our time in Uganda. So thankful for that time. Thankful not only to see others that I have uh, been with there before, but also thankful to see some of our own, the Edgars there, who are doing well and beginning to adjust to life in Uganda. And, and I'll tell you, uh, God has allowed me to, to travel um, to many different countries and many different parts of the world, but it is something special to go to your own people, meaning people that we have sent by God's grace uh, to another part of the world and hug them on behalf of all of you and pray for them and put a hand on their shoulder. And so uh, you can know that, uh, that they are doing well and that God is using them well for his glory. As Kenny just said, um, I, I, I can only imagine what it might be like for there to be uh, every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne because it was something pretty special to hear uh, 18 different tribes uh, sing praises to God, and, and then literally as we got down on our knees pleading with God and calling upon Him and hearing their cries before the same God was uh, something that I will cherish for a lifetime. When I think about change and how we change, when we go from something uh, like when we, when we make an exchange, I guess, uh, to something new, like think about this, maybe you go from like the Nokia brick phone. You remember that one? Uh, you go from the Nokia phone to the new iPhone 14 Pro. You say, out with the old and in with the new, right? You throw away your socks, you know, the ones with holes in them. You, you throw those away and you get a new pair, Grandmother gave you a new pair at Christmas, right? And when you when you do that, you go out with the old and in with the new. Y'all are doing so good. You trade in your 1993 Honda Accord for a 2022 Cadillac Escalade, and you say out with the old and in with the. Okay, y'all are doing good, right? You no longer fit into your jeans for a good reason. Right, we'll go with like because you lost weight, not because you gained weight, right? And so you say, out with the old and in with the, right? For those of us going the other direction, sometimes we, we wanna hold on to the smaller genes just in hopes, right? So let's not think that way. No matter what the reason, when something changes, you go from having something old to getting something new. You simply say that phrase. Even if you don't actually say it, we, we think it. The old is gone, the new has come. And we typically want to enjoy the new thing, right? There's a reason we switched from the Nokia brick phone to the, the touchscreen camera phone that does everything else. And okay, you can talk on it, right? And so as we read this text today, these verses, we are reminded of that same concept. Out with the old, in with the new. So let's do that. Let's look to God's word and see, beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. 
Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from this, the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may ha have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. We want to consider these two ideas, being out with the old and in with the new. What will those two things encompass? This scripture helps us see that. So let's, let's think of out with the old, right? Even in verse 22, it even says that, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So, so we're putting off the old. We're going out with the old. We wanna get rid of that. The book of Romans explains, uh, or Paul, when he's writing to the church at Rome, when he's writing Romans, he, he explains some of this in verses 13 and then in reverse in chapter 12. So you don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Get rid of all of the old self. You know, week in and week out, we point to the realities of the gospel. At least I hope that that's what you hear when you come here. And what we are reminded of regularly is that we are sinful people and that it is normal for us, like regular for people to choose sin. But when we repent, we are turning away from sin and we are trusting in Jesus. We're putting off the old self. 
We're rejecting our way of life, our way of thinking. And so Paul, what he does in this text is try to help the, the church understand what are some of those ways of old? What are some of those specific activities or maybe even ways of thinking that would be considered old? We no longer have. If, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are followers of the way, what are, what are the old ways? So there's a few things I think we need to stop, that Paul is telling us that, that the old way of doing. So we should stop doing the old. One is stop living life without purpose. Verse 17, as it even begins, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now remember, the most of the listeners would of this letter would have been Gentiles. But what he's talking about when he says Gentiles is not just uh, non-Jews, but he's talking about those that live in the ways of the world. And he specifically is talking about this futile minds. This idea of futility is like purposelessness. That is the word. I didn't even make it up. But it is, right? So to live life purposeless. This is not my appeal to you to go read Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, nor am I necessarily mocking that book. I'm just saying that's not the appeal. I'm saying let's live life with purpose. You see, some of us are choosing to live as though our only purpose is surviving this day. Instead of considering how we might thrive inside the will and joy of Jesus Christ. We just want to make it. We're just hoping to get up and go to bed and, and kind of be able to put our head on our pillow at night without too much stress or strain and get back up tomorrow and do this, do it again. What I'm not saying is that we all need to figure our unique purpose, dream big dreams, shoot for the stars. What I am saying is that we are designed for the purpose of glorifying Christ in our family, in our work, our evangelism, our giving, our serving, our friendships, our, our work relationships. Everything about us should have intent purpose. And I think sometimes we just go through the motions. We set our alarm for the same time. We get up, we go to the same place. We make some money. Maybe we make a lot of money. We are kind to our kids when we get home. We eat a good meal, we go to bed. And do the same. But as followers of Christ, there's more for us. There is something better. Lord willing, I will be leading us through a unique teaching series early next year on Sunday nights that I believe, I hope and pray that it will help us understand God's design for those of us who bear his image. See, as image bearers of God, that, that's all people, God has designed us to 
carry out his image, to bear it, to hold it, to display it. And so I, I'm eager to get to that, but I don't want to take all of this message to get to all of those messages. So, so stop, stop living in the futility of your mind, the purposelessness that we can live in. Secondly, stop being blind to the truth. Verse 18, they are darkened. So those who have futility in their mind, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Dark understanding, blinded to the truth. See, I, I believe that what this is in many ways, it's like a denial of what sin is. Like, uh, 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 not calling sin, sin. They're, this says that they're separated because of their ignorance. Sometimes they, people don't even know that something that is sin is sin. Right, that, um, I mean, there is a, a litany, a literal many lists that are in scripture of, of what sins are. And sometimes people legitimately have never been told that that is sin. And then sometimes people have been told, but their heart is so hard that it is though that truth just bounces right off. Right, I mean, Jesus gives that analogy as he throws seed onto the rocky soil. It doesn't have any, anything to sink into, nothing to, to grab hold of it. And so in many ways, the world is blind to the truth. My fear is that those of us who call ourselves Christians can find ourselves uh, also being blind to the truth. Maybe we just don't like the truth. It's because we don't like it or because it affects one of our family members because it affects the way we might have to live. Like we might have to change something. So I'll just pretend like that thing isn't sin. If it's not sin, then I can keep doing it and have a clear conscience. But if I acknowledge that that sin is sin, that the sin of gluttony is sin, that the sin of gossip is sin, that the, the sin of, pick, pick a sin, right? But if I, if I am rejecting that over and over as even sin, then I can just keep living in it. What Paul is telling the church here is stop being blind to it. Stop pretending that the things in your life that are sin aren't sin. Go see them as what they are and remove them. See them as those are a way of, of your old flesh. Those are the ways that you used to live, not the ways that you live now. And when something is brought to you, when the Spirit says, like, it's possible that right now, even as I'm preaching, that the Spirit is bringing up to your mind the thing that is sin in your life, and you know it, and you, you have kept living in it, knowing that it was sin. Hear it today. That thing is sin. Reject it. Remove it. Like, confess it before God, and like, don't go back to it again. Stop being blind to the truth, and stop rejecting the truth the truth. Verse 19, they have become callous 
have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. What this is speaking to is not just the what sin is, but also the denial of the punishment of sin. It's like we reject how, how wrathful is the wrath of God. How hard is it really? In the same way that if I don't think something is a sin, then I will keep doing that sin. In that same way, if I don't think the punishment is that bad, I might keep doing it, right? Ever thought about that in your home? I know your, your parents in the room have thought about that, right? We have decided how much we want our kids to never do that thing again. So the degree at which of the punishment that we give them oftentimes is to the degree that we don't want them to ever do, we want to them to remember, to never do that again, then the punishment we pour out is gonna be more intense. But if I'm not worried about the punishment of sin, I'm, I'm able to do whatever I want. I mean, ultimately God is love, so he's not, gonna, he's not gonna really pour out his wrath on me. I'm not really that separated from him. I mean, this is just a small little sin. Yes, it's sin, but, but his, his punishment isn't going to be that grand. We, we picture the wrath of God being poured out like from a, a dripping faucet. Like just drip, drip, drip. It's, it's not that painful, right? It doesn't hurt that bad. Put your hand under the dripping faucet and it's not, it doesn't hurt at all, right? No pain. That's how we like to picture the wrath of God. This past week, uh, as we were leaving uh, Uganda on our, on our way home, we stopped at a place called Murchison Falls. Murchison Falls is considered the most powerful waterfall in the world. It is not the tallest, it does not have the most water, but it is the most powerful. It is uh, on the Nile River, and at the top of Murchison Fall, Falls, the Nile forces its way through a gap in the rocks that's only 23 feet wide, and it drops 141 feet. The outlet of Lake Victoria sends around 300 cubic meters per second of water over the falls, squeezed into a gorge less than 33 feet. Now, if all that I just said means nothing to you, which I can understand why it would, you need to know that it's a lot of water in a little bitty space. That work? Non-scientific enough? A lot of water, little amount of space. This amount of water would pulverize a person. Not, not kind of, uh, maybe they'll make it, maybe they'll kind of fall and, and uh, calmly pass through the rest of the river waters. And I will tell you that as I stood back <laughs> from this waterfall, we were safe, by the way. You'd be proud of us. None of us tried to do anything crazy. Um, I considered that. I considered the wrath of God is not like a, a drip from a, a water faucet. 
It is like Murchison Falls. The eternal punishment of God is just that. It is the eternal punishment of God. And sin deserves to be pulverized. And when I say sin, I mean that sinners deserve to be pulverized. Now, there is good news that there is grace to be taken out of that waterfall. But may we not be so callous in our heart, so hardened of our heart to think that, that the, the punishment that God doles out to, to reject it or not acknowledge it. That's why callousness has led to sensuality, greed, impurity, deceitful desires. So we are to put all of those things off but to turn away from all of those ways to put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt deceit. That's the old way. I think we like to do things in stages, don't we? No, like the idea here is get rid of all of it. Don't tell yourself, like, I'll get better one day. Just remove it now. If you know something is sin, you see something is sin, see it, know it, confess it, and remove it. Repenting of it means a total adjustment. You're going to switch allegiances. You're no longer uh, slave to the things in this world. You're no longer slave to sin. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. So our freedom is based on our slavery in Christ. Oh, let, let us be set free from this so that we are out with the old, and then we can truly say, in with the new. Like that's what we want, right? We want to get to the good stuff, but we got to get rid of all of the old stuff. And we can't get rid of it on our own. You and I don't have that ability. I, I, I reminded myself this week, I guess the word reminded me this week of how much I need God. I have to have him remove this from me. Because every time I try, it's like I don't pull hard enough. I don't throw far enough. I need him to take it from my hands. In with the new. In with the new. Look at verse 24. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This makes me think of when Peter says, he's quoting the Old Testament, when he says we are to be holy or be perfect as God is perfect or as God is holy. That's, we, you do realize that that is impossible to do on our own. We cannot be perfect as God is perfect. We cannot be holy as he is holy. We don't have that capability. And yet, this is what is expected. We, we put off the old self and we put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in what is the likeness of God? Righteous and holy. Perfect and good. Totally set apart in perfection. Remember earlier when I mentioned Romans 13 and Romans 12 and how it kind of uh, goes backwards in that way? Walk in the light instead of darkness, he says. Paul says to put away those old ways and stay with the new things that are in the light. He's pointing the reader back just a few paragraphs 
when he wrote Romans 12. Listen to some of the things. In fact, uh, David mentioned some of these earlier. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. These are assignments. These are tasks that he has given to us. What is the new? Okay, the new is let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The list goes on. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints who seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Live peaceably with all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is echoing the, a list again. You've put away the old stuff. Now pick up the new. You see, this isn't just about the, the don'ts of life. <laughs> Don't do this sin. Don't do that. Don't drink, don't cuss, don't smoke, don't date those who do, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not just the don'ts. It's to be filled with, with joy, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, give, live with peace. And we, we can't accomplish these things on our own, but there, there is a responsibility that we have. There's a continual exchange that we that must take place. And, in, and when we think about it, it really is like exchanging the, those socks that have holes in them for the new pair. It is like the exchange of a Nokia phone for a new iPhone. It really is the exchange of the 1993 Honda Accord and the, the brand new Cadillac. These exchanges must continue to happen in our lives. We must put aside the old, but there is something new that should replace it. So Paul helps us see that in Ephesians 4 when he says, essentially, exchange lying for the truth. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now that sounds like an obvious exchange, right? Stop lying, start telling the truth. It sounds pretty obvious to those of us who are followers of Christ, but sometimes we will tell ourselves that that little exaggeration to make our story sound better or to make ourselves look better is not that bad. That small little, we will call it a white lie. I don't know why we call it a white lie. I don't know why it's not a blue or green or yellow lie. They're all lies, right? It doesn't matter what color the lie is, it doesn't make it any more pure, right? So we, we tell ourselves these things. We, we exaggerate 
We speak in ways that might make our point weigh a little heavier if we, if we say it this way or that way. Maybe we, we don't really appreciate the government anyway, so we'll just tell a little lie on our tax return. We're bothered by the way our boss tells us to do something, so we'll, we'll do it our way, even though they've told us to do a, a different way. We'll lie. But, but this tells us to put away falsehood, to speak with the truth. Additionally, Paul tells us to exchange unrighteous anger with righteous anger. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This raises a challenging question that I have wrestled with for most of my life. In fact, I remember early on as a child hearing this passage and trying to understand how can you be angry without sinning? I would go ahead and tell you that uh, most of us aren't good at this. Or at least I haven't seen very good examples of it. I'll put it that way. Because most of us are angry just for angry's sake. And that is sin. But, but I don't think Paul was quoting Psalm 4.4, which he is doing here, assuming that we would be able to be angry um, and not sin on our own. John Piper explains it this way. He says, righteous anger is being angry at what makes God angry. Righteous anger is the right word order because God is not fundamentally angry. He is fundamentally righteous. God's anger is a byproduct of his righteousness. God's righteousness is his being perfectly right in all his ways, all of his manifold perfections operating together in perfect proportion, consistency, and harmony. God is the very definition and standard of goodness. What God says and what God does are good because they are righteous altogether. They perfectly represent his comprehensive perfection. So, what makes God angry is the perversion of his goodness. The turning away, the turning wrong of what he made right. God calls this perversion evil. Evil twists and disfigures God's glory, vandalizing what is most valuable and profaning what is most holy. Evil poisons and distorts reality, resulting in the destruction of joy for every creature that chooses the perversion over God's good. God's righteousness demands his anger over such destructive perversion and that he mete out commensurate justice against those who commit such evil. So our anger is righteous when we are angered over evil that profanes God's holiness and perverts God's goodness. This was from an article. Uh, there were many, many thoughts. I would give you these warnings before you charge out with the idea that I'm going to start being <laughs> anger without sin. 
I'm going to take on that mantle. First, it would be wise for us to see the log in our own eye before we choose to look at the speck in another's. This kind of righteous anger should begin with grieving over sin. It's not just uh, infuriation that sin exists in someone else's life. It's saddening. Like many, many ways, you might consider crying over someone else's sin before you confront them. Because righteous anger is governed by love, still be slow to anger. This is how God himself is described. So before you take up that righteous anger mantle, let's follow after God who is slow to anger, abounding in love. Now certainly be swift when necessary. So therefore do not linger in anger or it might bleed into unrighteous anger. And this is why Paul even says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. As we are slow to even determine whether or not this is worth our anger, as it becomes this way, be swift to move, act upon it. Because that is how the, the devil gets a foothold. Verse 27, do not give him opportunity. So turn away from the, the way the world is angry and what the world is angry about and who the world is angry at. Reject those things and have a righteous anger against that which, I guess that's what uh, maligns the righteousness of God. Exchange, in addition to that, exchange stealing with work and generosity. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Ask yourself, right? Think about this. There are, there are two sinful categories that are listed here. One is laziness and the other one is greed, right? Don't be lazy. Just so much so I'll just steal something, take something that's not mine, but rather let him labor. The two righteous categories are diligence and generosity. Opposite of laziness and greed. Diligence to, to have purposeful work. You see, I believe that many of you in this room are diligent. Like you work hard and you earn the resources necessary. The question for you might be, are you characterized by your generosity? Is that how people would speak of you? You know, we have a lot of young couples. By God's grace, we have a lot of college students here. I wonder, are you establishing habits of generosity now that will shape you for the rest of your life? Are you, are you uh, greedy? Are you establishing kind of the normal living beyond your means and just trying to have the new and nicest stuff? Which one will, like, will characterize you? Laziness and greed or diligence and generosity? Let's exchange stealing or laziness 
greediness to exchange those things for diligence and generosity. Additionally, as we continue on, we exchange corrupt talk with edifying talk. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If you haven't yet underlined passages of scripture in this one, this is one worth underlining. We're not always great at taming the tongue, are we? James reminds us of that. But this is a weakness of ours as a people. In fact, when you think of corrupting talk, I, I'm so thankful that that is a general phrase versus a very specific one because we, we tend to look for the specific. So we would say, well, if it says don't cuss, well, I don't do that, so I'm okay. But corrupting talk, that is certainly that we should remove cussing, we should remove language that speaks ill, we should re remove foul jokes, we should remove crass statements, but we should also remove harsh tones. The way in which we speak, not just what you say, but how you say it, all of that can be corrupt talk. But pick up instead, so if we, we remove those things, but there's more. It's not just what we don't do, it's also what the new is. It's not just putting off the old, what is the new? The new is encouragement. Only that is good for building up encouragement is to, it's like literally to give courage. To give courage to someone. You can do it. Good job. Challenge them. Maybe, maybe even just practically to work on this this week. Maybe you would write a note or send a text or send an email. You could call someone. You would say kind things to someone as you pass by in the hallway. Maybe you would say thank you. Say please. Tell your family, I love you. Tell your kids, I love you. Tell your, your spouse, I love you. Maybe this is something you need to work on today. And you, you can think, I need to tell, maybe there's a church family member. Maybe you're about to go to life group and you can say to someone there, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for serving. Thank you for being here week after week after week. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for your hug. Thank you for your handshake. I'm so glad to see you. Maybe these words of kindness can lead also to words of forgiveness. Paul might, more than any other spot, step on some toes here. And essentially, he says, exchange bitterness with forgiveness. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is hard to give. When we have been hurt so bad. But Chad, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they hurt the person I love so much. I can't forgive them. I think Paul knew 
that that would be responses from people. So that's why he, he says at the beginning, as God in Christ forgave you. Because we don't hear God saying, you don't, you don't know what you did to me. You don't know how you hurt me. You don't know how you hurt my son. We see him saying that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We must remember Christ's forgiveness. This is, this is the gospel, right? There is a perfect, righteous, holy God, creator, sustainer of all things. And we messed everything up in our sin. Even though that we are bearers of his image, we have rejected him. We're children of wrath, deserving of whatever punishment he pours out. And yet, in his, in his grace and in his mercy, he gives us Jesus, the perfect one who never did wrong, never thought wrong, never acted wrong, always did right, who lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve, took on that punishment, took on the wrath of God, it was as though he stood under Murchison Falls and took every last drop. He drank it all, turned it over, and said, it is finished. For you and for me. And so what we must do is respond in faith to him. That's what's being offered to you. What's being offered to you is that you would reject the things of this world, reject what your flesh, what yourself leans towards, what, reject what, what you typically would want, reject those things, turn away from, repent of those things, and trust in Jesus. Trust in the one who has given himself for you. This is the necessity of our faith. We must respond to the one who's given us such grace, such mercy that we most certainly do not deserve. Say yes to this and be changed for all of eternity. For many of us today, you've experienced that already. For those of you who have not, right now, right where you sit, call upon God. Maybe you have more questions about that. Maybe there's something just, just kind of uh, you're, you're struggling with, the answer to those questions. Just right when we stand in a moment to, to sing and respond, I would encourage you, come right here to my left and to this room where there will be some who would love to talk with you and pray with you or help you think through these things. If you do know this, though, you have experienced this grace and this mercy, you have rejected the things of the world, you have repented of those ways, then maybe today you have been reminded of ways in which you have tried to grab something back. 
you've tried to take it again. Maybe you've taken back greed. You've, you've, you've picked up slander or gossip. And you know, I, I've got to ask God to take that away again. Maybe I'm, you're holding on to bitterness in your heart. And you need to be offering forgiveness. Let this, let, let our time of response be you putting your hands out and saying, God, you have it all. Not just pieces and parts of my heart, but all of me. I'm yours. So whatever it is you want from me, take it all. That I might obey you, that I might follow after you. I'm gonna go out with the old and in with the new. Take up the righteousness of Christ. Rejoice in him. Do you stand with me as we respond to our Lord?